Okay, welcome to the first episode of the podcast that does not yet have a name. We are going to resolve that today, but we're just going for it. Uh, my name is Mike, and we've got Reese Alley with us today. Reese first caught my attention on a couple of Facebook groups that I participate in. Uh, Reese came on and was offering to kind of mentor people in excavation uh, into larger projects. Uh, Reese was uh, involved in some, I think, high six-figure bids recently. And, you know, a lot of people would just do that and kind of keep it to themselves. But Reese is uh, really wanting to mentor people into their own success. And I thought that was really cool. So we chose Reese for the first uh, for the first interview today. Reese, how are you? I'm doing great, man. I appreciate you having me on. I'm so glad to have you here. Um, would you tell us a little bit about yourself, Reese? Uh, your business, uh, where you come from? Absolutely. So I'm from Atlanta, Georgia, and I work all around the North Georgia area, primarily in stormwater construction. But I grew up, you know, I've, I've been doing this uh, since I was about 15 years old is when I first started getting into the construction slash landscaping business, I think is where it starts for a lot of us and slowly, but surely it just scaled into bigger and better things and holding through that today. So it's been a, it's been a great ride. So you started at 15 years old. I mean that at 15, you're, you're still a child. How did you, how did you get your start at that age? What, what led you to want to uh, pursue an entrepreneurial path? Sure. It didn't start out as much of a choice when I was 14. And I started thinking about it when I was 14, when I really wanted to have a vehicle when I turned 16 and got my license. That's obviously the slice of freedom everybody wants at that age. And I had to come up with money. Just the situation was I had to come up with some money to buy it. And so just brainstorming on what I could do, I tried to apply to Publix and Chick-fil-A and respectively did not get the job because I had absolutely no consistent transportation. You know, both my parents worked. My mom is a uh, school teacher and my dad is in IT. And so they, they both worked, um, phenomenal people, but I didn't have a way to get there. So the only other option was to just start doing my own thing just around the neighborhood. And when I was 15, I started splitting uh, profits 50-50 with a buddy that had a driver's license and was a year older than me. And so I would lock down the jobs and these were like trimming and mulch and this stuff like that, little jobs. And it kind of scaled from there. So that, that, but that was the original. So did he get out and help you or did he just wait in the car while you mulched in the garden? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he, he helped. He helped. Absolutely. And did you get your car, Reese? I did. I did. What'd I got you, it a few months before it turned 16. It, it was a 2005 uh, F-150. So it had hey. an extended Yep. Yep. Great truck. Great truck. Perfect. So you're 15 years old, you're hustling, you're making money. Um, where did you go from there? Uh, you're working with your friend, obviously at some point you got your F-150, you went out on your own. Can you kind of give us the, the, the path over the next few years to, uh, to how you got into excavation from, from doing mulch and things like that? Yeah, it always came. I, I wasn't ever super attached to one thing specifically, you know, construction, landscaping, cutting grass, or excavation, it wasn't, there wasn't ever one thing specifically I was necessarily passionate about. I was just passionate about business and trying to just candidly make as much as I could because I, I am a believer that money does give you options. It gives you flexibility. And I, I knew it was important, especially from the people that I had started talking to at that age and asking for their, <clears throat> their advice uh, that were business owners in the area doing 
similar things. And those people got bigger and bigger and bigger over the years. But really, the the one the person that I started working with when I was 15, you know, we uh, kind of split ways as far as the work that we were doing. But when I was 16, got the truck, I had a few guys that started working for me consistently after school. So we would ba- we had about 60 maintenance accounts and we would just have three days where, and these were, some were bi-weekly, some were weekly, and we would go mow these things after school and then do install jobs on Saturdays and Sundays. And during the summertime, obviously I would, you know, hire a couple more guys and work full time. And that's kind of where that went. And when I was 17, I sold those account, the yearly accounts that I had uh, for a little bit of money. It wasn't anything insane, but I sold those and made about $15,000 with all the equipment and the accounts and everything. And that's what I started doing install jobs with. And that's where I started getting into, you know, Bobcat work, excavator work and uh, things that I could use heavy equipment on all residential at that point. And it just scaled from there. And built up a company that started doing drainage when I was about 18 and then leading into 19 and 20. And then uh, I'm 22 currently, and it's it's just progressed and progressed and progressed since. And so there hasn't, there's been one, you know, one or two years in between there where things uh, crumbled or didn't go as fast as other years. But all of it ended up being a learning experience that I I had to have to do what I'm doing now. So it's definitely all been a, a Lego building block type thing. For sure. It's really unusual to hear of somebody who's 22 years old and already has six years of business experience. That's really impressive. Um, so you're, you're, you're doing the mulching jobs. You sold that business. Um, sorry, mulch jobs. Uh, you sold that business lawns, whatnot, and then you start doing bigger jobs. Um, are you into heavy equipment now? And if so, have you bought a machine? Did you start out by renting? How did that kind of progress? Yeah. So I had a friend who at the time, you know, he was a, he was a couple years older than me and we kind of became friends because he was doing a lot of install work at the time. He was 19 and doing about $800,000 a year uh, in gross sales. And so wow. we kind of, we just kind of became friends. We shared office space. And so there was a storage facility that I, I had to move all of my stuff to and because I just ran out of space where I was. And so I had this, this space. And so we ended up renting an office space with a, a it was like a big shop area in the back. And then we kept uh, trucks and trailers and machines towards in the back parking lot. And it was a lot of fun. So he did mostly hardscapes and things like that, which I didn't get too heavily involved in. Um, but we shared some things like retaining walls and just general grading, things like that. So that was kind of where I got in. I started renting his machine actually by the hour, sometimes per day, but it was a great situation. And so from there, I ended up buying my own machine when it's as stupid as it sounds to say, it was a the February coming out. I just turned 19 and I bought a Takeuchi TL10 V2, which was about, I think it's a 12,000 pound skid steer. And that was brand new as soon as I sold four weeks of work. And I think looking back on that, that was a horribly risky decision, but I ended up keeping the thing busy and just, you know, building on work and building on work and building a backlog and gaining more people. And, but that, that was the first machine that was where it all kind of started as far as ownership goes. And what made you choose that machine? I mean, there's so many outfits out there selling skid steers, New Holland, Cat, John Deere, just to name a few case. Uh, What made you choose uh, the Takuchi? 
Well, you're going to hear this answer a lot. And that's a, I had a mentor at the time who I work with still today. And he had a lot of Takeuchi equipment. He had a connection with a dealer that he really, really liked. Just someone who had, he had bought and sold a lot of equipment with. And so I befriended him and that's where I ended up getting the machine. They had a program going at that time where you could do a lease to own to where if, if you thought you were going to buy the piece of equipment, they would just give you a brand new piece of equipment. And then if you could rent it and if you rented it for a full six months and you wanted to buy it with that, that same piece of equipment, they would, all those six months of rental payments would transfer to equity and that'd be your down payment for the machine. And then if, mm. if for whatever reason, the sky falls and in four months in, you didn't want to buy the machine. You could just give it back and it just treated as a rental. So it was a great program, but they didn't offer it to everybody. And so I, I kind of got that through him as a connection. And that's, I, I didn't know anybody else that had that program. And, and they're also good machines, but that, that's where the, the first one came from. That's a great deal. Um, so there really wasn't as much risk in the first six months, I guess, because if you were not able to keep the machine busy, they would have just called it a rental and you could have returned it. Is that right? Correct. Correct. Okay. That sounds like a pretty good deal. Do they still offer that? I believe so. Yeah. We're doing it right now on a, a 60,000 pound Hitachi and that's a $250,000 machine, but we're, um, it, it's the same situation. So they do it with big equipment, small equipment, and that's with a uh, Cowan, Cowan equipment. So they're, they're, I believe they're all the way across the country, maybe just in the Southeast, but they're, they're a great company to work with. Okay. And do you have any brand loyalty? Like these days when you're shopping for machines, do you look for Takuchi's or do you look for Hitachi's or do you kind of shop around by price or how do you make those decisions nowadays now that you're a few years in? Yeah, a combination. I mean, the Hitachi came from a great recommendation from an operator that uh, has been working with us for a little while, and he's been in the industry for 35 years. So that that was his sort of weight in there, that decision. But as far as skid steers and like smaller equipment goes, we've got, I believe, seven Takuchi excavators from 20,000 pounds to 6,000 pounds. And we've got four skid steers. We've got two 12s and two 10s. So, wow, that's quite you know, a fleet. They're, they're, yeah, they're great machines, and we got like uh, mini skids in there as well, like Kubota and stuff like that, and uh, and then just like concrete buggies, stuff like that, and obviously a lot of hand tools. But uh, they're they're great machines. I don't I don't have any real big bias. I think all machines are are decent, but I do think, like for example, um, United Rentals is one of the largest. I think they're the largest rental company in the world, at least in the United States, for heavy equipment. And there's a reason they use Takeuchi machines and not other machines because they're a fantastic investment. And in my opinion, and I guess in their opinion as well, it's the greatest return on your investment for the price of the machine. So right. it's not and just my decision going off that, you know? Yeah, that's, that's totally fair. And that's international. Like I'm in Canada, you're down in the USA and up here, uh, United Rentals also uses Takeuchi machines. So they, they must be good excavators. Yep. Mm -hmm. um, so. We've gone from one machine you're renting and then you buy yourself a skid steer. Now we're four or five years on from that and you have 11 plus machines. Um, can we talk a little bit about how you grew so fast? Um, I think that's what a lot of people want to know is how do you get from that point where you've got a machine, you've got a few jobs, you're scratching around for a living, going from project to project 
to now you have employees, you've got a bunch of equipment. Uh, how could you talk us through how you made that transition? Absolutely. And so it was sort of, I don't want to call it an accident because that's not the right way to say it, but I grew by myself. So when I started my drainage business, where we only focused on drainages is after selling maintenance in 18 months, I grew that business from zero to 80 to a hundred thousand dollars a month of a run rate. And fundamentally it was, it collapsed. I mean, I went, I lost about $120,000 in a, a pretty short period of time of about seven months because I tried, I hired a salesman. I, I started spending more on ads. I, you know, increased every, everything I did. I increased, you know, double and I bought more yeah. equipment, financed a bunch of stuff. And it just, I grew way too fast. And there was, there was a whole, I could write a book on everything that I did wrong, but I did learn from it, documented all of it. Um, I've got records from that time period that I, I review you know, fairly consistently just to make sure that the decisions that I made aren't what I'm making now, uh, have, keeping a historical record. But during that time period, I really just got angry, to be honest, at the industry. I thought construction just didn't work. I wanted to blame everything else in the world because at that point I had kind of been winning pretty consistently. I mean, since I started, you know, everything was going fairly smooth. There were bumps along the way, but nothing crazy. And so I started blaming the construction industry, grass is greener on the other side of the fence kind of deal. Well, construction's not scalable because there's so many problems and it's technologically not very advanced and there's no leverage and I should do something on the internet or real estate or whatever. There's a hundred different excuses on why my thing wasn't working outside of me being the problem. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. so through that time, I, I started looking at other opportunities and I had sold my first business. So I was like, well, I'm going to see if I can sell this thing and just get out of it what I've got in it. And so I called, I was on the phone with, again, one of my original mentors. And I was like, hey, man, like I want to sell. I'm going to sell everything. So in, at that point, I had modeled my business after his and we had a lot of the same equipment. We had a lot of the same guys. And at that point, he, he offered, he's like, uh, well, uh, what if we, what if we merged? And so, and I, I hadn't really considered that, but I, I hadn't structured one of those deals before. And so we ended up doing that and, you know, push comes to shove. We ended up getting everything worked out and merged what equipment I had at the time, which was uh, a couple dualies and, you know, uh, two different setups with the, um, with the skid, the excavator. And then I had six W2s that went with the deal. And so I handled all of the sales from that point. He was a running at about a $1.2 million pace at that point. And I was running at about a, at that point, falling back about a seven to $900,000 pace. And so I started handling all of the sales, business development and all of that kind of thing. And he started managing a lot more of the operations. And so that was what he was truly good at. I was doing what I was truly good at. And it just, it worked phenomenally well. And so, and that ended up being uh, the first company that, I, that I've ever partnered with as far as being an equity partner. And, um, and that, that ties into a lot of what the bigger picture is now, which I'm sure we'll go into later, but that's kind of how it all happened. And I think you can grow so much faster when you have complementing skill sets, uh, much faster than you can grow by yourself. It's possible to do it by yourself, but if you can find people with complementing skill sets, obviously that you work well with and you trust, uh, you can go much farther, much faster than you could by yourself. 
And you said something that really resonated with me. Um, you touched on the business being the problem versus you being the problem. I, I think it's it's an interesting point you made because no matter what you're doing, somebody out there is succeeding at it. Um, and just finding that finding that thing, finding that piece that's not quite in place is is really key, right? Because I myself, I've been through a couple of different businesses and it's easy to get discouraged and think, well, maybe it's just the wrong business for whatever reason. But somebody out there has a $10 million lawn care company. Somebody out there has a $100 million excavation company, whatever it is, um, that persisting into that and finding um, finding how you can get there is is really key and kind of taking ownership of the, the problems and realizing that, you know, you are you are limited in what you can do and what you know. And you, it seems like you kind of sought outside help with uh, merging with uh, your friend who has a complementing skill set. Absolutely. And, and to that point, from a scalability, I was on the phone with a, with a guy yesterday uh, from Michigan that just had some questions about, you know, how he could quit his job and go full time and things like that. And he was just, he noticed that I was in stormwater and he's like, well, you know, if I was just in stormwater, I could scale. And if I was, if I was doing this, then I could scale. And I, I have a very, very be cautious about seeing someone, what they're doing. And just because they're good at what they're doing, doesn't mean you need to be doing what they're doing. There's, there's gold in every pot. There's you know, green grass in every field. And so to your point earlier, just get good at what you're doing. There's nothing wrong with it. And if you just keep going, I mean, in my opinion, construction's more scalable than a lot of industries, just because you can have a multi-million dollar business of one project. We had one come in on Wednesday this week. That'll be about a $1.8 million dam reconstruction project where I'm, I'm not saying that there, there has to be other bidders, but we got uh, early access to all the plans uh, before bids actually opened uh, officially. And so it's stuff like that to where, I mean, you there are people multi-million dollar enterprises that could fit inside of one job, but you just got to find that job or just got to find that enterprise. And so there's, there's a whole lot more to the pie than people think. That's a really great point, especially this day and age. I think it's timely. Um, Everybody focuses so much on internet-based businesses and scalability and whatnot, but I have a feeling, and this is just a suspicion on my part, but I think in the next 20 years, as people more, you know, more young people go into programming and things, I think the opportunities in construction are, are going to get even bigger. Um, and, and that's just, I haven't heard anybody say it quite like that, that you can have a multi-million dollar business off of one project. That's, that's a really great point of view. Um, so thanks for sharing that Reese. Um, you kind of already touched on this, but what would you say growing from smallish to where you're at now have been your, your biggest challenges? What have been the the most difficult things that you've had to kind of work through to get to where you are now? Yeah. So there's, I've had a lot of documentation and I've tried very hard to remember everything and writing everything down. I've got 90 pages of notes from the time I was 16 to now, as far as all the major events that happened. And once every other Sunday or so, I I try and read a few pages of that. And so I'm constantly trying to read all of the historical notes I've taken throughout this whole journey. And now that I've opened up business to, you know, partner with other companies that are looking to scale, it's, it's opened up that question a lot. And I would say there, there's sections to it. So obviously there's, 
companies in the hundreds of millions and billions, but talking about companies that are sub 10 million, from zero to 500,000, it's, it's you and you're trying to get off the ground. You're trying to figure out you know, what you're going to do in the world, whether it's drainage or retaining walls or excavation, clearing or whatever. You just don't, you got to find your product. And one person that's working really hard with two guys can easily produce $500,000 a year with one setup, $40,000 a month. If you're doing bigger projects, maybe that's a little bit more. Maybe you're closer to 800000 but that's what that's, um, oops, excuse me there. Um, that's what it is from zero to 500,000, from 500,000 to about a million. And again, this is talking about general projects. I know there's extremes, but you're trying to find management for the first time. You're maybe adding another crew. You're straining yourself out. And from the one to one and a half, $1.8 million range, you're, you're really starting to have to hire on management. And so your management team consisting of, you know, the estimators, the office managers, the finance people, the bookkeepers, all of those people. And then an operations, operations personnel that aren't directly, you know, performing the work, they're managerial. So now they're, they went from producing something to just an overhead expense. You really can't afford all of those people yet. And so you have to be very strategic of what positions you fill and, um, and how you go along the way. So, if you're super good at operations and you're really heavy on that area, but you're terrible at sales, don't hire an operations guy. That's what I did in sales originally and why that was a horrible decision uh, looking back on that because I was really good at sales. I was very good at business development. Um, mm -hmm. And I, because that was most of what I cared about, I hired that person first and then looked away from it and it collapsed. I should have hired an operations person first because it was a weakness. And that's why it's worked so well partnering. And so I think just in those early stages where you really have to pick and choose of what managerial staff you hire first as an overhead piece, um, hire out your weaknesses until you have the entire team. And then you can think about stepping away from some of your strengths and, um, and hiring those out as well. Hmm. That's some really good insight. Um, Thank you for sharing that. Uh, moving on a little bit. Um, so you've been able to grow. Um, now you've got a ton of machines. You've got a staff. You've got all kinds of stuff going on. You're still only 22 years old. And you're moving into a mentorship role now where that brings us to how I kind of um, met you or first got in touch with you. Uh, you're posting on a couple of these excavation Facebook groups. I've got one of your posts up here. Brainstorm Zoom call on a $244,000 project. Wanted to see if anyone would be interested in doing a Zoom call going over one of my active sites. So I saw this and I thought, there's nothing in this for him. This is just a guy who's putting himself out there to help people out. Um, what made you decide to do that? And and why do you do it? Why do you, you're a busy guy. You've got a big business. Um, you're young, you probably got a lot going on and yet you're out here doing zoom calls, uh, with people or webinars or, or whatever, helping and mentoring up and coming business owners. Why, why is that? Why are you helping other people grow their businesses? What made you want to, uh, to give back? So there's a, if you look at the timeline of what I'm trying to accomplish in the next handful of years, after the experience of losing everything by myself and then experiencing how beneficial it can be when you partner with someone that you know you truly care about, you trust, and you understand their strengths and weaknesses, 
Um, I believe there is going to be a tremendous opportunity. And I think that um, I'm going to look at partnering with another about probably five companies in the next three or four years. It's not going to be anything quick. It's going to be a very, very small, tiny number of businesses where the stars align, where their weaknesses are my strengths and my weaknesses are their strengths and vice versa. And then we can partner and then grow an incredible enterprise the same way I did uh, with this company and I'm trying to do with others. But I think along the way, there's a ton of people that are from zero to half a million or they're just trying to get off the ground or maybe they've got a business that's doing $30,000 a month. Uh, on nights and weekends, but they they don't know how to leave their job, or there's people that are at half a million or a million that are really a five million dollar business in a shell that just have a couple tweaks they need to make, but they just don't know what it is, and it would open up the floodgates um, for them to grow. And so I think I'm trying to give away the farm everything that I've learned and I've paid. I mean, in the last six months, I've personally paid. $45,000 for consulting, education, you know, getting access to bigger people um, and just, just to have third party perspective on our business. And I understand that's not a, you know, accessible to a lot of uh, businesses in the early stage. And so I'm trying to do my best to give all of that away for free from what I've learned. So those guys that are at those stages can break through, you know, make money with it, uh, grow as much as they possibly can. And, and maybe one day out of you know, the hundreds, hopefully thousands of people that I can impact through that, uh, the stars will align on a couple of them um, to where I can work with and I can invest in personally. And th that's real. those are the people that I'm really trying to find. And to be honest, um, I'm not, I'm not going to be a course guy. I don't want to be a guru person where I'm charging $500 for a course or $2,000 for a course. Uh, I, I believe in sowing and reaping. And I believe if I can just be Johnny Appleseed and so the whole the whole farm uh, there's going to be a couple that fall on fertile soil and those are going to be the people that I work with one day. Mm. Well, thank you for not going the guru route. Uh, I think we have enough gurus. <laughs> I know a couple <laughs> people personally who've who've gone the guru route and uh so it sounds like you're you're wanting to both um empower other business owners and help them grow while also keeping an eye open for potential alignments that, that you can get involved in in years to come. Absolutely. So is that your primary focus at this point is sort of this lateral expansion into other businesses or do you have um, more goals for your, for your primary business as well? Like what, what is the, that aside, what was your primary focus over the next say five years? Sure. So the primary fo focus over the next five years is obviously to grow the company that I am working with. There's there's a there, there's two. There's one big one that I've been posting about, and then there's a one that's in, in kind of the beta stages. But the goal over the next five years is to develop a portfolio of these kinds of businesses. And again, that where the stars align, the person's got to be right, the strengths have got to be right, the weaknesses have got to be right. But in the um, in the here and now, and through that time period, growing the companies that I already have and, and the one, the big one that I already work with uh, and have ownership in, that is absolutely a priority. I mean, we're working on that's the majority of my time on a regular basis. Social media is social media is definitely not a full-time job. It's, it's something that I do squeeze in as much as I can and, and try and do a good job of being consistent about. Although I, I fall there, you know, sometimes I'm getting better at it. But 
the um, I, I, I got to still pay attention to the moneymaker at the time. And so that company's growing like nuts. It's getting crazy. And I, I can't tell you how excited I am for that business. I, I have the utmost confidence that we can be running at about a seven to eight million dollar rate um, in the next 12 to 16 months, I would say. At least we've got a plan for it. It's mathematically backed uh, by third party consulting groups, as well as us, as well as all of the people that own huge companies that I've talked to, consulted with and have been approved there. And so it's um, I am it, it's my pleasure to say that's not just my approval and my assumption. It is. Um, I feel quite confident in that plan. I feel like it's going to work. So how much would you say that having a goal and having a vision um, accounts for your success? Because I heard someone say recently, uh, what was it? You can't ever achieve anything beyond your highest ambition, uh, which obviously means that you, you, know, you have to have a goal and you will never achieve anything bigger than your biggest goal, your highest ambition. Now, it sounds like you're working towards being a seven or eight million dollar a year company, but you're not just saying that and you're not just writing it down. You're actually bringing in outside consulting firms to validate your numbers. What would you say to somebody who wants to grow, um, but just kind of has an idea in their head of what they want to do? So to answer your question from a couple sentences ago, I think the vision is everything. I think it's the only thing. So I, I made this, someone told me this a long time ago, and I think it's incredible. A lot of the people on the forums that are in your forum or in many forums on YouTube that are not on social media, that are just running their companies. If you were to take the mass people that are a one or two man operation that desire to be larger, um, everybody's willing to do the work. Everybody works hard, but hard, the hardest person, the hardest working person in the room isn't going to be the most successful. If there's everybody in the room is willing to work hard, then the only thing that separates the people that are all willing to work hard and the people that become very successful or have an incredible life or squeeze the most out of their business are the people that have the direction. And so I think the vision you have provides all of that direction because if, you, if you're staring at your feet trying to walk 10 miles through a field, you're not going to go straight. You have to be looking down the road. Now, I think it's a balance. Obviously, you can't just daydream all day and expect anything to happen. But constantly having a vision, writing it down, and more importantly, reviewing that vision and talking about that vision with credible people you trust is an incredible resource. Because there's been a lot of times where uh, I've got a I've got a list of, of quite a lot of people now that it's been built up over time of people that everybody from people that own a uh, in the past, a one and a half billion dollar hedge fund uh, and real estate based to one of the biggest excavation contractors in the Southeast. And those people I can call and sit down with maybe once a year or so and just tell them my plans and tell them my vision. And with the people that have been so far down the road, you know, your vision fits into 10% of their life experience in a lot of cases. And so you can share your vision with those people. And they can look at this on their timeline as something that's super small and conceivable and to what you look at as inconceivable and very large, and they can tweak the little details in the picture. And so you can come up with the idea and paint the lines and all of those people can fill in the color. And I think the combination mm. of 
I guess that manifestation is what can really guide you to um, to accomplishing something over a longer time horizon, being a year or two years or three years down the road. Hmm. Those are good, uh, good thoughts. Would you advise uh, younger or smaller business owners to seek out mentorship? I would absolutely advise that. I think no one... There's absolutely no one that can fit 40 years of experience into a few years of business. And there's a lot of people that might have 30 years of experience, but they really only learned for one or two years and they just existed for 28 years. And they just took what came to them and that was good enough for them. You have to aggressively seek out new knowledge on a consistent basis. And so if you don't have a mentor and you're not reading any books, you're not researching anything you're not studying and there's a big difference between watching and studying that's for sure but mm-hmm. you have to be aggressive and you have to acquire new information to gain a competitive advantage in my opinion mm-hmm. and it seems to me like you spend as much or more time working on your business as you do working in your business absolutely yeah like you're very focused on how you're going to move forward and how you're going to get where you're going versus just the day-to-day operations from what I'm hearing. Sure. Um, absolutely. And, and you have to get to that point. I mean, obviously there's a, there's a time and a place for working in it, but it's, it's very, it's paramount to get to a place where you can work on it. Hmm. Uh, Reese, what would you tell somebody starting out in excavation right now? What advice would you give to them? I'd say to exercise as many free resources as you possibly can. There was a lot of times where I found myself paying for expensive softwares and uh, doing pay-per-click advertising, built, hiring people to build uh, sites and sheets and flyers and things like that. And the reality is, especially when you're inexperienced, advertising and softwares and things that are overhead expenses are such a fast way to drain every resource you have at the beginning. And in terms of getting off the ground and getting started and being consistent, there is absolutely no reason why you have to spend copious amounts of money on all of those overhead things when there is so much free resource that you can exercise first. And so in terms of getting jobs, stuff like door knocking, printing off flyers, put it, leaving them in people's mailboxes, hmm. calling all of your friends and family and telling them about what you do and why you're doing it and then asking them for referrals all of that kind of stuff, especially when you're small and you can't handle that much work in the first place, exercise all of those resources beforehand. And then once you have a consistent base built up and you've got some cash coming in, then you can think about setting a portion of that aside to some of those paid resources. I could not possibly agree more with you on that. Um, I, I Obviously we build websites, we do marketing. Um, I have people come to me sometimes who they're just starting out and they want a, you know, a big website and they're spending money on Google ads and Facebook ads. And their common advice is kind of go broad, be everywhere. I don't really agree with that. Um, I think that when you start out, it is good to utilize free resources and understand that people really want to support new businesses. Um, you know, local Facebook groups are a great way to get your name out there completely for free. Um, but I, I kind of like the one channel approach. I like, Figure, figure out one thing. Even when you start paying for, for, for marketing, get good at something. You know, Get your Google ads really dialed in or get your website really dialed in or your Facebook ads or, 
or your blog or however it is, maybe it's a YouTube channel, whatever it is, get really good at one thing and then move on. Because what I see over and over again is people just kind of throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and it all slides off um, because there's not a lot of focus and not a lot of skill, frankly, um, with these different with these different avenues. So yeah, that's that's a really good point, Reese. Thanks for sharing that. And once they graduate into something that they can afford, about a, in about 120 hours of work, you can figure out and build a website of your own, which is what I did originally. And then once you do have enough money, you can hire a service uh, that you provide for, especially for excavation services, which would be fantastic. And I think it's a fantastic investment at the right spot. And that's something that you've been providing. I've seen some of that. and It's, it's fantastic what you're doing. I appreciate that. Uh, and just to add to that, anybody who tells you that you need to spend big money on a website or spend big money on advertising early on is lying to you. Uh, there is a place in your growth where it makes sense to, to invest in a website and to invest in advertising. Uh, it's not on day one. Facebook groups, YouTube channels are free. Um, there, there's so many ways to get your name out there for free. I've, you might've seen my comments on some of the Facebook groups, but I, I tell guys all the time, they come on and ask how to get work. Well, phone, make a list of 10 local contractors and phone them. Offer to buy them lunch. That's the best 50 bucks you can spend is buying lunch for, you know, a five or six year established local contractor and just say, Hey, I'm new. I've got this machine, or maybe you don't have a machine. Maybe you rent. Um, looking to get into the business. Do you have any work you could throw my way? What would you advise for me to do at this point? Like, I, I you know, so many people want to to sell these services, um, and and I really think that encouraging people to leverage and utilize what's out there for free is is really important. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Reese, I, I don't know if you want to answer this one or not, but what, what what is your favorite quote? Do you have a favorite quote? So my favorite quote that I've ever had, and I used to have this written in Sharpie on my bedroom wall, and we ended up having to paint over, but it, it was on there for a long time. And it's a quote by Henry David Throw, and it says, if one advances confidently in the direction of his dreams and endeavors to live the life which he has imagined, he will meet with a success unexpected in common hours. It will chase after you. So, and that basically means, in my opinion, that there, there's not going to be one day where you make a huge leap or a huge bound in the right direction. But if you work consistently and you keep your eye on the ball and you keep the vision in front of you, you'll meet with a success unexpected in common hours. Whereas in things, things to everybody else, it'll look like things are just showing up out of nowhere and coming out of the fog and falling out of the sky. But you know that the process of sowing and reaping is true. And you know that there's a lot of seed in the ground and the stuff that finally comes up, it looks like you just found in the middle of the field has been in there for a long time. Yeah, that's a good one for sure. I think some people are are always going to chalk it up to luck. Oh, you've been so lucky or or something like that. And when really it's it is that vision and it is moving in the same direction over a long period of time. That's that's a good quote. I've never heard that one before, actually. Uh, is is there anything we haven't covered yet that you want to say before we close out, Reese? I think the, the main thing I want to say, closing out, and this goes to your question about the new guy that's just getting started, but and this applies to the new guy. This applies to the guy that's been doing it for 30 years that just can't seem to catch a break or get past that next step. The construction industry 
is an incredible industry that has incredible people. And I've been involved in just through the business. I've been involved with you know, the lawyers, the attorneys, real estate people, agents, and people across a lot of different industries. And I have been hard pressed to find any industry where the individuals, the average individual is as kind, as generous, and as nice as the people that are in the construction industry. And besides all of those points, I believe it's incredibly scalable. And to your point earlier, with as many people that are turning away from the industry and as technologically slower the industry is to adapt, there is going to be a bigger opportunity in construction in the coming years than there ever has been in the last hundred years, in my opinion, just because the way things are going, it's becoming, it's a $2 trillion industry, construction in the US. So if it's a $2 trillion industry, like what else are you gonna go do that's a $2 trillion industry where there's this much opportunity for being unique, there's this much opportunity for young people coming on that are taking the position of some of the older guys, and so if you're looking at a lot of different things or you're in high school or you're in middle school or you're, you've been in the industry for 30 years and you're looking at turning away because it just, it's just not working. I promise you, if you keep looking for the right answers, you will find them. And it's very possible to make several hundred thousand dollars a year as a small operation in construction. And if you desire it, it's very, very possible to make millions and millions a year off construction, taking regular vacations, you know, t- you know, five to 10 times a year. Like that life exists in the industry that you're in. You just have to keep looking for the answers. Mm. Yeah, appreciate that. And you touched on something I, j- I just want to elaborate on a little bit. Um, this industry is loaded with people who are right on the brink of retirement. And even as companies grow, generally what happens is, you know, they move out of residential work, they move on a small garden projects and they stop doing that stuff. And then a hole opens up where there's opportunity for newer, smaller businesses to, to come in and fill that void as the bigger companies grow and kind of get into bidding bigger projects and doing you know, civil work and commercial work. Um, there's just always more opportunity kind of opening up at the bottom. 100%. Yeah. Uh, Reese, I really appreciate your time. It was great talking with you. Where can people go to learn more about you and your business? Where would you direct people who want to follow you or connect with you? Sure. Now, I'm working on new medias all the time, but I mean, and getting established, but Facebook's going to be the best place for now. And maybe you can leave a link uh, to that in the bio. But if you want to just follow me on Facebook, I'll have updates on everything else there. I'll leave a link in the bio. Reese, thank you for being with us today. It was great chatting with you and uh, look forward to catching up with you again in the future. Good deal, man. I appreciate the time. Thank you. Cheers.